0: For a few moments, I'd like us to look at Christ in Isaiah's prophecies. Matthew chapter one, beginning with verse twenty-one: "She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins." All this was done that it might be spoken, which was that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your word speaks to every generation. Any man or woman that will take the time to read the book can find words that edify and strengthen. Speak to all of our hearts. Give us something to think about, meditate on. We're grateful that you so love this word you gave your only begotten Son. And we're so excited that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to make sure we come to know your Son better and better every day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The Gospel of Matthew of course, is organized in such a way that readers should be familiar with the Old Testament. In fact, I think if someone were to pick up this gospel and begin to read it without a knowledge of the Old Testament, a lot of the material would seem foreign to them. But Matthew obviously had a target audience. and He had a specific objective in mind, especially since he cites Jeremiah. Hosea, and the Psalms. Of course, Isaiah is cited quite often, not only in this book, but in other books. But this man lived approximately 750 years before Jesus was born. And in the 8th century before Christ, with precision, this man was able to predict not only the birth of our Savior, but even his gender and what his role would be. Matthew was trying to make sure the reader could connect the dots, and that's why he uses phrases like that it might be fulfilled. He didn't want to leave anyone in the dark. He didn't want to leave any doubt at all that when Jesus came into this world, he fulfilled the plans and purposes of God, which is why he uses the words of Isaiah to say he'll bring forth a son and tells us the name. There aren't a lot of people who prophesy about folks' names in the future, but Isaiah did, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was precise. That name, Jesus, is the exact equivalent to the Old Testament name, Joshua, but when we come over into the New Testament and into English, we say Jesus. But this name implies salvation, for he shall save his people. We don't want to restrict his ministry to the Jewish nation. However, at this time, this is the reason that he came. The Bible says he was born of a woman made under the law to redeem those that were under the law. But he came to his own and his own people didn't even receive him. They disregarded him. They thought that he was a fake, a hoax, someone full of the devil. They didn't want to believe that he was the Messiah. But yet you can see then in verse 23, Isaiah had his mind on something that he probably had never thought about before. A virgin who had never known a man is going to conceive a child. He had never known of this happening in ancient history. He had not known of this happening during his day. So I'm sure when he wrote it or prophesied it orally, it probably startled him that he even said it. A virgin shall conceive and shall be with child. Anything that God wants to do in the earth, he has to start with a man or woman. Everything has to have a beginning. In order for there to be a conclusion to what God is after, there has to be a beginning. And so this is why Matthew begins with the birth. The birth of Jesus is the birth of a movement. It's the birth of a church. It's the birth of the plan of God in the world. And everything has a beginning, folks. Everything has a beginning. When you consider all that God does in this earth, never forget it. Every village, every town, every city is just one person away from a move of God. Just one. All God has ever needed is one man or one woman. Without D.L. Moody, America would have been different back in the 19th century. But because God was able to grab a man that was a shoe salesman, Take him to preaching the gospel. Look at how he changed Chicago because he honored God. Somehow or another, he came to know the Lord. He became born again. Christ, the, the, the incorruptible seed, was born in him. So Christ was birthed in him. And that began the beginning, or that began the new life that he had with the king because God found one man. Think about Amy Simple McPherson. Here was a lady in California, first lady ever. Build and start a radio station. Built a church, seated 5,000 people during the Depression. Didn't owe a person a dime. But yet she built the four-square movement into something that has touched the nation because she went around holding meetings in different places. Even down in Kansas, over in Iowa. Every town, every village is one person away from a move. Of God. The scripture here says a virgin shall be with child bring forth a son they shall call his name Emmanuel which literally means God with us that is to say if you have Jesus you have God and if you have Christ in your life you have God present with you he was born in order to bring the presence of God into your life and into my life I turn to chapter 4. You'll notice in verse 12, it says, When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtalim. Here's the phrase again. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, Lame by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Notice what Isaiah sees this time. He sees not only the birth of Jesus, but he also sees transition. He sees the change. He sees the move from one geographical location to another. Now, most things that occur in our life, especially if we feel inspired to move, there's usually something behind it, some kind of impetus or stimulant. In this case, John went to prison, Jesus went back northward into Galilee, and then the scripture says he left Nazareth, came and dwelt in the village of Capernaum. Whenever God's at work, when God's moving, God has to move people from one place to another. Sometimes with God, it's like a chess game. Once certain pieces are in position, then certain things can take place. This is why in your own life, God has to bring certain people into your life at certain seasons. Your life comes together at an intersection, and it's important for you to make the right decision, the right choice when you face those intersections, when doors open, several of them are there, it's best to choose the right one. Scripture says that he left Nazareth and he dwelt in Capernaum. Some people don't like to move. Some people don't want to move. But sometimes when you do move, That's when God is able to use you in a greater way than you ever thought. Let's not forget the name of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, God with us. The change of geography doesn't change the presence of God. Wherever you go, wherever you move, you have God with you. How many times have you moved in your life? How many addresses have you had? I was thinking about this as we were... Driving down here, and I mean just up until my late twenties, I remember moving from Cleveland to South Carolina, and from South Carolina I moved to Camp Johnson, Jacksonville, North Carolina. From there, I moved to Okinawa, Japan. From there, I came back to North Carolina, but to Camp Lejeune. Then from there, I moved to Quantico, Virginia. From Quantico, Virginia, I went to Saudi Arabia. After 15 months in Saudi Arabia, I went to Istanbul, Turkey, lived there for 16 months. During the time I was in Istanbul, we traveled here, there, and everywhere from Europe and throughout the Middle East. And when I left there, I came back to the States for a few months, then moved to Amman, Jordan. In Amman, Jordan, I had two residences. Lived the first year with an Iraqi family, the second year, with a Palestinian family, then from there moved to Israel. And from Israel moved back to the States for about a month and a half, and then moved to South America. Then made my way to Baton Rouge, and then came here. Wherever you go, if you have God, you take the presence of the Lord with you. And I'm sure some of you in here have moved quite often. Phyllis probably moved a lot more than she wanted to as a pastor's wife, from here, there and everywhere, trying to preach the gospel to different people. But notice Jesus knew that it was the time and purpose of God. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, right there on the sea coast. beautiful place. I've oftentimes wondered how come God didn't move me to a place along the coast of the sea? I was, You know, first few years I was here, I was waiting for him to say Hawaii, but it just never really worked out. I, I always thought I could be a pretty good surfer, but it just never worked out, never heard that voice. And, I, and I'm hoping that when I get to heaven that he doesn't say to me, I said, Alaska, fool, not Nebraska. See, I'm hoping, okay, but here's the thing. There are some people in this world who do not like to leave a region. Jesus never left Galilee. He never left the confines of the promised land during the entire time that he ministered. Some people have comfort zones. There are people right here in Thayer County and in the surrounding counties that will live and die. And will have never left this region and it won't bother them at all. But do you realize that sometimes when God moves you from here to there, it makes you bigger, it makes you better, because he brings different experiences into your life. He brings different people into your life. And so don't ever be afraid to follow God when the Lord is telling you to move on. Don't ever be afraid, because you'll find that Emmanuel is with you not only in Nazareth, but also when you're along the sea coast in this Is what Isaiah was prophesying about these areas of the tribes of Israel. And why did Jesus need to move? Because of verse 16, there was a people sitting in darkness. The people sitting in darkness had no idea they were in need of illumination. They were Jewish. They worshiped in synagogues they went to the temple at feast time if you would have asked them about their relationship with god they would have told you i am fine everything is well my spiritual life is the way that it needs to be but yet god sent his son into this world so that at this season he could reach a people that are sitting in darkness they didn't even know it how many people have like that have you met that are seated in darkness and have no idea that though they're surrounded by religion, shrouded in religion, they have need of a greater light. Now, what's the problem with darkness? Look, the problem with darkness is you can't see very well. You have shadows, things like that. And of course, in the darkness, you can't get up and move like you normally could in the light simply because darkness throws off your equilibrium balance sometimes is off because you don't know where things are have you ever been staying somewhere that you weren't familiar with and in the middle of the night you got up go to the restroom or something go to the kitchen and then couldn't remember where everything was at and got up and walked into a door or a wall or the edge of the bed or stubbed your toe i can tell you this happened to me plenty of times back when we had the place in friend and had the apartment there i can recall many times waking up in the middle of the night and looking around the room and and taking 10 to 15 seconds just to remember where i was because i was like where oh my goodness where am i you see but darkness is like that and it takes time for your eyes to become familiar with the darkness but if you've been sitting in darkness for too long and your eyes become adjusted to it then you become accustomed to that kind of a lifestyle millions of people are accustomed to the darkness of sin and the darkness of religion so these people were a part and product of prophecy without even knowing that Isaiah had prophesied about them 700 years prior. They were sitting in darkness, but here comes a great light by the name of Jesus. Now let's not forget, there's a difference between artificial light and real light. The light that we have in here tonight, that's artificial light. This light is useful. We can see one another. We can move about easily without any kind of difficulty, but this light can never produce for vegetation what sunlight can produce. And that is why there's a difference. You step out in the sun and you feel so good on a beautiful sunny day. I watch people on Sunday morning, sometimes in the evening when, it's, when the uh, sun is setting later at 8.30 and 9 o'clock. You know how we You know the difference between how we act on a sunny day and a cloudy day? On a cloudy day when it's a gloomy day and it's an overcast day, people just kind of roll out of the bed and they just kind of just move around like this. And I watch them sometimes standing in the church looking out in the parking lot through the window and I can see people just dragging, just coming in the church. Just look like every leg has ankle weights on. But then those same people let the sun be out shining and it's bright and it just seems like there's pep to our step. There's a smile on our face because that is what light produces. And this is why Jesus was sent to this region so that he could put a smile on people's face. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light because if you've been sitting in darkness for a long time and somebody turns the light on, it's like, oh, my goodness, it's a new world now. That's what Jesus does. He changes everything. So who do we know that are sitting in darkness today? What kind of light can we produce? Well, if Jesus lives inside of us, then Christ wants to manifest that light in you and in me. And he wants people to see that. He doesn't want you to come off so strongly that you actually turn people off with the brilliance of your light you know how it is when you've been laying in bed all night and it's dark and then somebody comes and flips the light switch on and you immediately turn the cover on because the brightness of the light is more of an irritation then but once your eyes are adjusted then you're ready for it and some people They've been sitting in darkness a long time, and then here you come along with a strong witness, and I mean, you're jumping on, and tell them, look, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean, they're like, oh my goodness, you're just a bit too much for me at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, contain your witness a little bit. And then when they finally warm up and get used to you, and they realize that is how she is all the time. Eyes have become adjusted, you see. The people sitting in darkness, see a great light, and the Bible says a region, set, a region in which uh, people are sitting in the shadow of death, they find that there's a light that has sprung up. And so in this valley, in this area, people need a light. There's death, there's shadows of death everywhere. I wonder how many, how many kids there are in group homes this evening that wish they had a home to live in. The parents. I wonder how many foster children there are right now that may have a Bible in front of them or just may be sitting in a chair in a room all by themselves just praying, saying, I wish there was somebody to adopt me. I wonder how many spouses there are behind closed doors that may be sitting in the living room with their husband or wife and looking at the television and just wishing they had a life that was different, even better. Than the one that they have. Yeah. How many people are there at a bar tonight? Sitting there staring at a bottle. Knowing that they shouldn't have the bottle in their hand. Knowing that they shouldn't be in the bar. But unable because of the addiction. To put it down on their own. And walk away and go home. And they saying, oh God is there any way for me to get out of this? I'm telling you that valley folks. It's, it's big. And when the scripture says there are people sitting. In darkness. There's a lot of folks. Sitting in darkness. That young teenage girl or boy that's being bothered and molested or something and their heart is breaking, it's a terrible thing, yeah. That man or woman facing divorce, that person who finds themselves on spouse number six, it's like when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. There are multitudes of people that are, looking, <clears throat> that are looking for the light but don't know where the light is, don't know how to get to the light. And, and God is saying he needs people that can allow themselves to become that light in someone else's world because this is what Isaiah prophesied regarding Jesus. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. Turn to Matthew 8. Notice, beginning with verse 14. It says, when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, <clears throat> excuse me, he saw his wife's mother laid in sick of a fever and he touched her hand. The fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. How many of you know it's good to heal your mother-in-law? I didn't say let her move in. I said, but it's good to heal your mother-in-law. I want to get in good graces. Verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by who? Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Again, as the story progresses, we can see the ministry of Jesus. And Isaiah is opening up and he's revealing to us that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a rescuer. Jesus is a deliverer. And every time Jesus healed someone, it was in fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He bore our griefs and sorrows. Everyone knows today the griefs and sorrows from Hebrew to English means sicknesses and diseases. He bore those, He carried those. That means the trust in Him means that with Him all things are possible. Now, For everybody, it's not necessarily definite or certain, but for the one that has faith, all things are possible to him that believes. A door is open when we trust in Jesus as our great physician. This is what multitudes of people found out in ancient times, and with Jesus living in you and Jesus living in me, this is what people should find out today. When people ask you to pray for them, don't say, we'll be praying for you at church. Say, let's pray right now. You're standing with them in the grocery aisle and they say, I've got a surgery coming up or this is taking place. Could you remember me in prayer? Say, I'm remembering right now. Let's pray right now, right here by the cereal. Lay hands on them and pray and ask God to touch them. You never know what'll happen. Never know. And when the manager comes across that, that uh, sound system and said, could, Somebody please go back there in the dairy department because the beavers are laying hands on people and miracles are breaking out. Could you get back there as quick as you can? Then you realize the Jesus that lived in the pages of the book is also the Jesus that lives in you. But we'll never know what Jesus can be today if we don't release him. Let him use us. He needs these hands to touch, to hug, to embrace. He needs your feet to go. And to come, he needs your eyes to behold what he beholds. He needs your ears to hear what he hears from heaven. It's through you and through me that Jesus is able to ride on airplanes, ride on buses. It's through you that he's able to repair somebody's roof, able to make a meal for somebody. This is what he's talking about. Isaiah prophesied about it. All these people come in in verse 16 at the evening time. They're full of the devil and Jesus is making them whole. And he cast out the spirits with his word. How many times we've seen this happen? Where the demon possessed have been set free. in Meetings in which we were proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Notice, the Pharisees were religious people. They were keepers of tradition. I don't know if there was another group in Israel as religious as these folks were. They thought they were holier than other people because of their ability to remember what the older rabbis had taught them. and Can you believe these folks actually made a, or conspired to hurt Jesus, to destroy him? They were tired of his influence. They didn't want him to have a voice. That same religious spirit you see in our nation and around the world today, some people say, why should Christianity have greater influence in the public sphere than any other religion? Because this nation was founded upon Christ. Because the people in Europe that got on boats that came here, they brought Jesus with them. They were interested in proclaiming the Lord because he's part of our cornerstone. But yet there's a, a religious mindset that says, look, I don't have a problem with religion. After all, I'm Buddhist. I'm Hindu. I don't I'm not bothered by religion. I mean, goodness, I I'm involved with animism. Why well, worship in Mormonism or whatever kind of ism it is, but why should Christianity receive an undue amount of influence in this society and people work behind the scenes to try to muzzle the church and Christians? Kids today can go to public school with some of the most awful designs and wording on their T-shirts, but if they have a shirt that has a scripture on it, there are some schools that will tell them, You need to go to your locker and change it, and if you don't, you'll be suspended. There are people that will tell folks, you you shouldn't steal, and it's not good to tell a lie, but they still don't want people to see on a wall somewhere the Ten Commandments of God. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Pharisees conspired against Jesus. They wanted to destroy him. But Jesus, of course, knowing this, he just moved away from them and the multitude followed him. And I found that when they're trying to kill Christ and they're trying to persecute Christ, the crowds that are seeking Christ get bigger and bigger. Because people aren't chasing after religion, but they are chasing after Christ. They're pursuing God. They're pursuing the truthfulness of the word of God. There's something about the presence of Jesus. About the Emmanuel that people are interested in. Religion is absent of Emmanuel. The Pharisees lacked the presence of God. And sometimes the meanest people you'll meet on planet earth are religious people. Yeah. They run around the church and kick their shoes to the roof on a Sunday night and come Monday morning cussing out little children and are walking across their grass going to school. Religious. There has to be something in us that exudes the presence of God. And the last sentence of verse 15 says, regarding the multitudes, he healed every one of them. Man, I'd love to be in a meeting like that. My heart's desire is to be in a meeting like that. To see everyone who comes to the house of God made whole. I've heard of meetings like that. I've seen God touch and bless. A lot of people. I've never seen one like that. Even in the book of Acts, it tells the story of one occasion they went into a city and were preaching and everybody was made whole. See, When God does that, it's amazing. Used to be a church of God preacher named T.L. Lowry. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he died at about the age of 87, 88. He was holding a meeting in Knoxville, Tennessee one time. And he was on a 40-day fast, just coming to the conclusion, 40-day fast. They brought him out there on the stage because they had a big meeting where a number of churches got together for it, had an auditorium rented. And the host came out there and told the vast crowd, when Brother Lowry comes out here, he's just concluding, Uh, long fast, so don't be surprised by how he looked. He lost a whole lot of weight. He's Pretty, pretty strong guy, tall guy, pretty thick guy, but during that fast, he lost a lot of weight. He walked out there, and of course, the crowd, they gasped. They all knew him, but they were absolutely shocked that this Church of God preacher was so thin, and he was weak, and they put a, a stool out there on that stage, and he sat on that while he ministered God's word, but his own testimony. He said, while he was ministering, he felt there was a point in that service where God told him to stop talking and just said to the people, If you want God to bless you now, stand up. We'll believe that God will heal you. He said, In that place, he said, people stood up all over the place. And he said, within a minute and a half, all you heard was screaming and yelling, not from people in pain or agony, people rejoicing because deaf ears had opened, blind eyes were now able to see. People that were there in wheelchairs had gotten up and was running around and happy and praising God, said it's the only meeting he's ever had like that. Scripture said the multitudes followed Jesus and Jesus healed them all. I think everybody would want to be in a meeting like that at least once in their life. To enjoy the presence of God, to see the anointing of God. But Jesus told the folks in verse 16, don't tell anybody what I've done, because he knew if they knew that Jesus was doing that, the crowds would come and try to make him a king. But verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And here is the wording, behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will show judgment to the Gentiles. Notice Jesus was the servant of God. He's the son of God for sure. He's a servant. God's beloved. and God was pleased with him. That's the wording that was used when he was baptized by John. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't healed anybody. hadn't preached a sermon. But God was pleased with him. His father was pleased with him. It's not what we do that pleases God. It's who we are that pleases God. Young people, your parents don't love you because of what you do. They love you because of who you are. You come from them. So they lavish that love upon you because of a relationship. And we that are born of God, he loves us because of who we are. This is my son in whom my soul is well pleased. Now, Jesus Is ministering amongst the Gentiles. He lived, according to Isaiah's prophecy, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The word Gentiles, of course, refers to people who are non Jewish, some of which didn't have a covenant with God, who weren't of the seed of Abraham. So Jesus ministered in an area that was diverse. You had Romans. In the Galilean region, Greek speaking Jews and Greek speaking people, people from various nations. Jesus didn't have to go far to run into people that looked different, differently. They spoke the same language. I think it was after World War II, we had a lot of people that were of German background that ended up staying here, just never left. That's why in a lot of these communities out here, every now and then you'll still find somebody who is of a Czech background, German background, Swedish background, someone over, over the age of 80, and they still speak English with an accent. Yeah, because they came from the old country. And Then you'll find that in some communities, you still have multitudes of people that speak different languages. America is one of those countries where you don't have to go around the world to reach people from around the world. You can find them right here in the United States of America. He ministered in Galilee of the Gentiles. It says here in verse 18, he'll show judgment to the Gentiles. He's going to apply his wisdom, his discernment to people that are of diverse backgrounds because that is exactly what they need from the Lord. He's not going to strive and cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break. What is a bruised reed? Someone hurting. You go down here by the Little Blue, there's water flowing through it at this time, or go to any Nile River or or something overseas, Jordan River, and you'll find volunteer growth coming up along the banks. Every now and then, because of animals passing through or people moving around, you'll find some little long leaf or something that's bent. Some little stick that's bent, almost broken. But you know when that bruise is there, you can see it in the grainage of the leaf because if it's it's bruised in a certain way, there's a little discoloration. But you know what the Lord does? He doesn't come along and just rip it apart. He tries to heal it. A lot of bruised people today. People with broken hearts. People with a lot of sadness and sorrow in their life and they're needing somebody to come along with a soft and gentle voice and minister to them and let them know there is a savior that cares about you. And if the Lord can find any kind of a smoking flax or something that is like a candle with a little burning ember, he doesn't go and quench it or snuff it out. He tries to ignite it find people whose life was once on fire for God. You don't try to push them away from the king. You try to bring them closer. And that's why it says in verse 20 in the last sentence, till he send forth judgment unto victory. Because God hadn't planned any defeats for your life, just victory. His purpose and plans for your life have never been for you to be on the bottom side, but for you to be on the top side. Do you realize perspective has everything to do with how you allow Jesus to minister in your heart and in your life? If you have him ministering powerfully, great things can happen. But you've got to believe in a powerful God. In order for that to happen. And the scripture says, And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So, all over this earth right now, because the gospel is going in every direction, you find people of non Jewish backgrounds that still love the Lord with all their heart. How did the gospel get here to the Americas? Because Gentiles brought it here. That's how. Yeah. And this is why we love the Lord and we proclaim the gospel. With Jesus at work and ministering on our behalf, we have the expectation that good things will occur. We don't know what the next 100 years will be like. 120 years ago, look at what happened down in Topeka. My wife and I had preached a revival many years ago down near Topeka. One of the, nights we, uh, the days we had off, the host pastor said, Well, Brother Darrell, let me take you and Tiffany over to Topeka and show you the old stone mansion where Charles Parham was with his, his uh, disciples and students in that Bible school. We drove over there, and I stopped and just kind of looked at that, and thought here it was, right there, the December 30th or whatever, 19, 1899, so somewhere around there, maybe 1900, and they're, they're looking for ways to see how God feels people with the Holy Spirit. They got to looking through the book of Acts, looked at five or six outstanding events, and realized when God comes in in power, he fills them with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak. Well, they searched through the word of God, and then eventually, the first one, I believe her name was Agnes Osmond, sometime in the middle of the night, God filled her with the Holy Spirit. And from that meeting in Topeka, That thing spread around the world. God was doing other stuff in other countries, but pretty soon it was in Azusa over in Los Angeles, California. They said those people were meeting out there in the old chicken shed. Brother Seymour stand there, put an old crate on top of his head because he didn't want people to be focusing on him, and he'd stand there and pray. Folks were coming from all over the world to be in those meetings. Every Major full gospel denomination in America was founded by people that made their way to Azusa. And You know what? That fire spread, that living water spread all over the earth right now to the point that you cannot find anybody that doesn't have a friend, a relative, a cousin, or somebody that's been touched by the full gospel message. Impossible. Nobody's holding conferences today on how to say a better Hail Mary. No denominations are holding conferences on what's the best way to baptize, face down first or sideways or anything like that. There are no committee meetings trying to discern whether or not in our church we should preach predestination or not preach predestination. Every major denomination on this planet has had a group of people touched by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And they've had conferences saying, what are we supposed to do about this? These folks are hungry. What are we going to do? And it's all because somebody started pursuing God. And look at the fire that's burning today. There is a difference between a man or woman full of God, full of the Holy Ghost than somebody who doesn't believe that way. There is a difference. You can tell the difference. There is a difference in a church that believes in the mighty anointing and the power of God than a church that doesn't believe in that. There is a difference. Let's stand. Nobody's ever come to hear me preach and walked away saying, I'm trying to understand what he meant. Try to be clear, and right to the point. You know, um, that's that's important. We 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 want to be different than anybody, other fellowships. I want my teaching to be different. I don't want anybody walk away and hear me and say, you know what, brother Daryl sounds like our Lutheran pastor. No. Really? No. Does he? I, I don't want anybody saying that. You know. And that, that's, that's nothing uh, against them. I'm just telling you that when, when you know, if you, got, if you put enough pressure through that water hose, that water hose is going to flop around a little bit, see. And, and, and people that are full of life, I mean, there's just got to be something there because there's a lot of joy and excitement. I don't like death. I don't like death. I don't want to touch it, don't want to be around it. All I want to see happen to death is see it leave. That's it. But if we walk with God, then his life makes us stronger amen no doubt about it father we love you tonight we worship and we praise you when we think about christ and isaiah's prophecies as outlined in the gospel of matthew we can't help but crave more and more of what we see in that word but father we know before we can see more and more we've got to be willing to give more and more of ourselves to you help us god to be fully surrendered to you, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Talk to us in the middle of the night. As we lay there in the middle of the night and we open up our our eyes and begin to speak to you out of our hearts, God, move in our bedrooms, move in our homes. Let your presence be strong. Answer every question. Feel every heart, every mind touch each one of us and use us and make us mighty witnesses for you. That's our desire, God. That's our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, 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 Amen.